Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about Abraham's second encounter with King Abimelech and how our goal is to be one who lives his life on earth like he just turned aside temporarily on the road to heaven. Now, this message is available at friendshipwithgod.org for free listening and download, friendshipwithgod.org, or also available at itunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God as you're driving or listening from home or downloading and listening to these messages on the go, and you're growing in the knowledge of God and your walk with God, we'd like you to start or continue supporting this Old Testament Bible teaching radio program. Now, many don't teach on the Old Testament, but Tom Cantor's ability to communicate the Old Testament and modern-day expressions is amazing, and he's a master teacher, empowering and encouraging Christians, as well as teaching the lost Jewish people about their God and Messiah. So if you enjoy the Friendship with God radio program, and the teachings of Tom Cantor, we want to encourage you to become a monthly supporter, even a one-time supporter of this Bible teaching radio program. And for a gift of any amount, we'll send you Tom Cantor's testimony on DVD and in a booklet form for supporting the Friendship with God radio program. To get your life story testimony of Tom Cantor in a booklet form and a DVD, we'll send that to you for supporting the Friendship with God radio program. Just call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Support the Friendship with God radio program, staying on the air on this station in your city, and receive Tom Cantor's life story on DVD and in a booklet form. Again, you can call us and support us at 800-247-3051, or you can go online to donate at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. We hope to hear from you. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 21 on Abraham's second encounter with King Abimelech and how our goal is to be one who lives a life on earth like we have just turned aside temporarily on the road to heaven. So, but it's quite a statement. And, and, and what they're saying it, it, when they said that is that we've been watching you. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful statement, actually. God is with you in all that thou doest. It's what we want for our lives, don't we? I mean, it's what, it's what Moses said in, in Exodus 33, 15, when he said to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. See, Moses was saying that he wanted God to be with him in all things that he did. He didn't say, if your presence go not with us, carry us not up hence. But what he said is, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's very important because Moses had this, this tremendous monkey on his back called the Jewish people, that he had to carry a transport from Egypt to, to Canaan. And so, you know, he, he felt absolutely enabled. And so he said, if you don't go with me, then don't take us there. And so that's what he was saying there. So how did Abimelech and Phicol know that God was with Abraham in all that he did? Well, they knew because they were watching Abraham in all that he did. And as, and as they watched him, they said, you know what? Maybe they talked to each other. I don't know. They said, you know, there's no other explanation for good that's happening to Abraham other than God's with him in all things that he does. And, and what did they see did, when they looked at the Abraham, this man? They watched him. They said, did they see a righteous man? Well, not exactly. I mean, they saw Abraham in his weakness and how in his fear he lied to them and, and so forth, led him through deceit into a dangerous place, be getting in the crosshairs of God. That's a dangerous place to be. They, they knew that Abraham had a lot of trouble in his home. They knew about his, his, uh, 
his, uh, his relationship with Hagar and Ishmael, and, and, and he didn't look like a righteous man. They knew how, 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 how Abraham was also caught in the crosshairs, not of God, but of Sarah, and how as a result he had to throw out his son and Hagar. They, they saw this. But what's very important to see in what Abimelech and, and Phicol said is what they did not say. They did not say, we know you are a righteous man. They didn't say that. And they said, we know that God is with you in all things that you do. When you're fearful, God is with you. When you're in trouble, when you got yourself in trouble, God was with you. When you're moving around in our land, God is with you. When you're in your home, and I'm not sure I'd wish that home on anybody, but when you're in your home, God is with you. When you're working in your field, God is with you. When you're running your work crews, God is with you. And when, when you're at your altar, God is with you. God is with thee in all things which thou, that thou doest. See, they didn't say, we think God is with you. They said it a fact. God is with you in all things that you do. And what impressed them is how God was with them in, in everything he did. And, and, and so Abraham, you know, as we said, he looks at, <laughs> looks at Abimelech and Abimelech says, he came, he came all this way to tell me this. So, but, but we see from the next verse that Abimelech is worried. So in verse 23 it says, Now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son's grandson, in other words, but according to the kindness I've done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me to the land wherein thou sojourned. So what we need to do now is to think about and just establish a little bit in our minds the timeline that we're talking about here. The last time Abraham has any dealings with, with Abimelech is the, is the last chapter, chapter 20. And at that time, you remember, you know, we talked about it. He was afraid. Abraham was afraid. He lies. And, and, uh, but but uh, Abraham does have the child with Hagar. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, pass that off that Sarah's his sister. I mean, he's got what? Anyway. So, um, so, and then, you know, the, the, Abimelech gets in a lot of trouble with God. Over this, and Abimelech restores to Abraham his wife Sarah. And then, at the beginning of this chapter, Sarah gets pregnant with Isaac. Sarah has Isaac. So let's say that maybe it's a year uh, before Isaac is born from the time, let's give it a year, from the time that Abraham says goodbye to Abimelech at the end of, verse, uh, at the, end of the last chapter 20. And uh, so let's give it a year, and Isaac's born. And now, in this chapter, we've read how Isaac's weaned. So let's give that four years. So, it's, so let's just say it's at least five years since Abraham has met Abimelech. You know, it wasn't yesterday this happened. It's at least five years. So now Abimelech, now Abimelech appears on the scene. He's very worried. And he's coming to Abraham deeply worried. And what is Abimelech worried about in verse 23? He says, he says you won't deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's sons, and so forth. He's very worried that Abraham should not deal deceitfully, should not injure him by deceit, like he did last time. With his, and this also should apply to his son and his grandson. Now, we know there was a basis for Abimelech saying this, you know, because that's what happened. But, it, but, but Abimelech felt back then, that Abraham had trapped him and put him right in the crosshairs of God. Uh, you know, in, in Genesis 20, verse 3, when he said, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. 
And then when he came to Abraham in, in, uh, in the chapter, he says, but God came to Abimelech. No, I said that. But when he came to Abraham, what he said to him was, it's not right what you've done. And, and, and these things ought not to have been done. So in other words, he's talking about you've endangered me and my people. Now that was over five years ago that that happened. It's taken five years, over five years, for Abimelech to realize that he needs to take a step. He needs to make sure that Abraham never does this again because it endangered the whole lives of the whole Philistine people. And it appears that it took over five years for Abimelech to know that he had to do something now, that something had to happen. So it's been over five years, and something has been happening in Abimelech. For over five years, the events in the last chapter have been percolating in Abimelech's mind. He's been thinking about it. And Abimelech has been slowly thinking about what happened, and he's been slowly coming to a realization that he needs to take an action and get an agreement with Abraham. Now, maybe no one saw this percolation that was going on in Abimelech's mind. But certainly, if anybody knew about it, 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 it would have been Feichel here. He would have seen, they would have talked about it. Or it might have been that even Feichel didn't know that, that, that Abimelech had been mulling this over for such a long time until maybe he announced to Feichel, okay, we've got to do something. So the question is, why did it take over five years for Abimelech to realize that he needed to get this promise from Abraham to never do it again? Well, why did it take him over five years? What was, what, what, what was to come to this conclusion? The fact, we don't know why it took him over five years. That's the answer. We don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it took him over five years. I don't know why it took him over five years. But the truth is, it took him over five years. And there's a lesson for us in that. There's a lesson. Why? Because we talk to many lost people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the response that we get back is the pushback. When we talk to him, we get the pushback of, well, if you found religion, then that's good for you, but it's not for me. Pushback. Or we get the rejection of, well, Jesus Christ is not for the Jewish people, or you know, God is not for the scientific mind. Oh, anyway. And so that is the rejection. Or we get the despising of, you know, there have been, there have been more wars fought for religious reasons than for any other reasons. Or we get the insults of, well, you know, you can't live your life on your own, so you need a crutch of religion. And this is all that we get. And we walk away thinking there's no hope for that person. The person is is hopeless. And in some cases, those same people with the pushback, the rejection, the despising, the insults, they might be, you consider, consider them like Abimelech in chapter 20. But... Truth has lodged in their souls, and like it did with Abimelech. And truth will work when you leave, as Abraham left, to break down the barriers, as God said in Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? See, a couple of weeks ago, we did a Passover mailing of cards a big, uh, large postcard to 300,000 Jewish people in Baltimore and Brooklyn. And that card asked the question, I asked the question in that card, 
the, the word, the, I said, the word Seder means order, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb, so it was a very simple question. This year, will you have just another Seder without a Passover, or this year, will you take the Lord Jesus Christ as your Passover lamb and have a Seder with a Passover? So that was a question, no. So, very non-provocative thing, you know. <laughs> and so, we got many, many, we got many insulting emails and, and phone calls and, 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 a, <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, and many of them, and very interesting. But we also got a call from a Jewish man who's very close to taking the Lord Jesus Christ as his Passover lamb. But there was one in, in email that was particularly interesting to me, and I'll read it for you. This man writes, Thank you for the postcard about having Seder without Passover or vice versa. <laughs> it gave us much to speak about at the Passover table. Everyone there, including the young people, felt it was hilarious that a grandson of an Orthodox rabbi professed to know that the word Seder meant order, but later found out about passing over the houses. Your beliefs are not worth challenging, but this story was unbelievable. I suggest you hire a better writer. Stop wasting your money on postage. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. So, what's that? Pushback, rejection, despising, and insults. <laughs> Apart from that, it was a very nice letter. So... <laughs> Now, it's very tempting to walk away and say, well, you know, it's hopelessly lost. Never be saved. But we have to remember Abimelech. Over five years. And, and, and who knew that for over five years that what had happened had been percolating in Abimelech's mind? For over five years, then, over five years later, Abimelech comes running to Abraham wanting this promise. We give out the gospel and we get responses like this, and it's easy for us to say, well, everyone then, including the young people, felt it was hilarious that a grandson, et cetera, so they get irritated. So like Mildred used to say, triple D, dead, damn, delivered. <laughs> but God says, God has something to say, and he says, now wait a minute, God says. I've not had my chance to do my Jeremiah 23, 29 work of, is not my word as a hot fire, say the Lord, and like a hammer, that breaketh the rock in pieces. How does the hammer break the rock in pieces? By many little blows. Many little blows. And the best part about this email was the part that read, it gave us much to speak about at the Passover table. Everyone there, including the young people, felt that it was hilarious. So you know what that means? That means that when all the family was gathered all together there around the Passover table, they read the postcard. That's what that means. And that was perfect. And I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better hearing. It was as if at the Passover, when the whole family turned to the door and opened the door for Elijah, that I walked in <laughs> with the postcard and got all the attention and preached the gospel to them. And it was a gospel sermon preached at the Passover table. Oh, man. And the officiator, the officiator, you remember the high priest said it's necessary that someone dies for this. This he spake because we were the high priest. Well, this is the officiator at the Passover ceremony in the house. He, read, he reads my postcard to ridicule, but the officiator reads the postcard. And when, and when he did, then God said, let the percolation begin. And you could hear the little hammer taps on the hearts as it, as it begins. My word is like a hammer that will begin to break the stony hearts. All right. Now, God takes very seriously the Passover ceremonies in Jewish homes. 
You know, it was at a 19, it was a 1969 Passover ceremony in, in, the, in the home of uh, aunt and, uh, and my aunt and uncle Shineson when, when that happened to me. I mean, Aunt Mary, you remember I told you, Aunt Mary henpecked my, my Uncle Pete so much that he they practically told him what to think about when he got up in the morning. And, and Uncle Pete's whole joy in life was just to irritate her. And so, but he was the officiator at the Passover, and at the Passover, well, Uncle Pete, the officiator, he, he, and Aunt Mary's in the kitchen, and she's getting the chicken soup. And so Uncle Pete leans over to me and nudges me at the elbow and says, now watch this. You know? <laughs> and then he says, he's the officiator, and then he says, Christians believe that Christ was the Passover lamb, and it, which immediately got the response of Aunt Mary. She shouts from the kitchen, oh, Pete, shut up. <laughs> Pete looks at me with his glee. But Uncle Pete was the officiator at that Passover. And when he said that, Christ was the Passover lamb, God says, let the percolation begin. Let the little blows of my hammer begin on the stony hearts. And they did. And what Uncle Pete said began to percolate in my mind. And the little blows from the word of God's hammer then be pound on my stony heart. And it took nearly two years later for me to bow my head in the office of a Baptist, a pastor, Ray Hahn, and there receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Passover lamb. So... Just like it took over five years for Abimelech to come to action. Now, when we look at verse 23, there's a very interesting observation that Abimelech has made about Abraham. And, he's, and what it is here, you know, in just the last part, he's, he talks about the land wherein thou hast sojourned. That's an interesting that Abimelech has described Abraham and the land with this last statement there. Because the Hebrew word behind the word, behind the English word sojourn, is the word gur, gur. And it means, what, what gur means is that when you're on a road and you turn aside temporarily for like a night's rest in a hotel, that's gur. And so the, it, has a, it, it's, it's a, it means like a person's on a destination and they just by necessity have to just get off the road for a little bit of time. And, and that's what it means. We've seen this word before in, in the life of Lot, as described in Genesis 19.9, where the, the, the Sodomites said, they said, stand back, and, and they said, this fellow came in to sojourn, or gur, and, and he will need to be a judge, and so forth. So when the Sodomites looked at Lot, they said, he's not a Sodomite, he's just here temporarily. He, he gur, he's a gur, <laughs> a person who's just turned aside. And, we, and we've seen this, this word also used in the life of Abraham in Genesis 12.10, very early, where it says there was a famine in the land, and, and Abraham, Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn, gur, there. The famine was grieves in the land. So when everybody in Egypt, they looked at Abraham, they said, he's not an Egyptian. He's just here temporarily because of the famine. He, he, he's, he's gur, he's gur. <laughs> a person who has just turned aside. He's, he's going to go back north, back home. So God told the Jewish people how to treat these uh, gurus. <laughs> so to speak, the strangers who lived among the Jewish people when he said in Leviticus 19.33, and if a stranger sojourn, gur, he says, with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. So, you know, he's not one of the Jewish people. It's obvious. He, he, he's a gur, gur. You know. He has just temporarily turned aside. He's on his road home. He's a gur. And so when Abimelech said to, to Abraham in verse 19, God is with thee in all things that thou doest, it means that Abimelech was studying Abraham in, in, in everything that he did. 
And what Abimelech saw in everything they did was that Abraham was a, was a guru, he's a guru, you know. And in all things that Abraham did, he looked like a traveler. He looked like a person that just turned off the road for a little bit while he's here on earth. And, and, and that's how he's described. And so when we come now to, to this verse, he says it here. And then God used it to describe him at the last verse of this chapter. You notice verse 34. It says, and Abraham sojourned, gur, in the Philistines' land. See, the Philistines' land. Many days. So you look at the life of Abraham, you see a gur. You see a person who's just turned off the side. That's exactly how he is described in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, where it says, by faith, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place where he should receive an inheritance, obeyed, he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned. Of course, this is Greek, you know. I don't know why it's Greek, but anyway, it's Greek. Yeah, so, but it would be good if it was yeah. In the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, when Abimelech looks at Abraham, he saw a person who was just on the road looking for a city. And, and, he, and, he, and he sees him as he's living there as just someone who's kind of turned off the road for a little bit because he's, he's going to heaven. And so the challenge comes to us. How do we look? How do we look to God? When others see us, when, when, when God sees us, how do we look? Do we look like Lot's wife? And, 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 she, and she wasn't guru in, 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 in uh, Sodom because she turned back. And see, but God, but this word guru describes Abraham. And as it does, it brings a challenge to us to, to, to live like we're going to stay in a hotel. You know, whenever I go into a hotel, I never take my clothes and put them in the drawers. For one thing, I'm afraid I'll lose them. But I always keep everything and I live out of the suitcase. And, 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 and I, I, I don't unpack. And why? I'm not settling down in that hotel. I'm just, I'm a gooder. I'm just turned aside there just for a little bit, temporary. That's the way Abraham lived his life. He never unpacked. He always lived out of a suitcase. He was a gooder. And, and, we, and he viewed earth as just temporary place. That's how we should be. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so that's very, very important for us to see. So that our lives should be. And if they're that way, then we'll do as the Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark 13, 15 through 16. Let him that is on the housetop not go down to the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house, but let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take his garment. And in Luke 17, 30-32, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the person will obey if he's a guru. It says, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Then he said, remember Lot's wife. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Abraham's faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness to Hagar and to Abraham. And thank you, Lord, that what we've read this morning, we can do if God is with us in all things that we do. So we pray, Lord, be with us. We pray that we might not grieve your presence, Lord, and that we would be like Abraham, a traveler. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We hope you enjoyed Tom Cantor's teaching today from the book of Genesis. Tom Cantor has other materials that are available also at friendshipwithgod.org at our online bookstore, again at friendshipwithgod.org. 
our resource of the month that Tom Cantor is offering, his book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. And this book by Tom Cantor and this teaching will help you to understand what is fatalism or what is Calvinism or what is fatalistic Calvinism. And Tom Cantor will teach us, can a person resist God's will? And what are chosen and changed children according to the Bible? And did God predestinate or foreordain or allow people to just be created to die and go to hell? Now, this book from Tom Cantor called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism will show us that we are all faced with a personal crisis of obedience, just as other people in the Bible were, like Joseph and even Eve. They both faced crises of obedience, and this book examines the character of God and His promises and compares them with the fatalistic teachings of Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled us or lied to us and didn't mean all or whosoever will? or that for God so loved the world. Tom Cantor will teach us what the Bible says truly about this topic. And the most eye-opening part of this book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism is that Tom Cantor himself was once a believer in fatalism, and he was a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, if you'd like a copy of this book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism from Tom Cantor, call us right now at 800 800- 247-3051. It's our resource of the month. It's our last week we're offering this at 800-247-3051. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you this book, Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism by Tom Cantor. And again, you'll be supporting this Bible teaching radio program. You can also go online to friendshipwithgod.org to order this book, or you can call us again at 800-247-3051. And we'd also like to encourage you to go online to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse or find Tom Cantor, Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook and get the daily devotional verse there. So sign up online at friendshipwithgod.org or again, find Tom Cantor, Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.